to go to there. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. yes. 30 Ellens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? Man, you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get rid <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, I'm exhausted from the Iron Man on Sunday. Uh, you... Oh, you're exhausted. Yeah, I'm exhausted. It's been yeah, a exhausted. very long weekend. How how are you? I'm I'm also exhausted. It's it's Tiff. Yeah. Tiff. Tiff. <laughs> We're dead smack. We're literally dead smack in the middle of Tiff right now. So, uh, yes, it's going to be... Energy. Are you drinking coffee? I wish I had coffee. I just chugged some, yeah. So hopefully that that will help. It's yes. It, this should we'll we'll try to keep this a regular energy discussion, yes. but it may be a little on the lower end of the spectrum. Yes. Yes. Let's. I just maybe if I just talk and itch, it'll seem more <laughs> like I'm excitable. <laughs> I don't think anybody could uh, confuse you for excitable, Simon. Don't worry. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> well, at the end of the show, we ha- will have our DVD shelf segment. We got to talk with Eric Goldman from IGN about the Ben Stiller show. That was a lot of fun. So that'll be coming up. We are not spotlighting anything this week, but we have a, a full week in TV along with some previews and some finales and all sorts of different things. But first, we heard from a bunch of you guys this week. Carl sent us an email. He... He thinks that Walt being willing to coldly sacrifice Jesse is beyond what he's done so far on the show. Of course, that's Breaking Bad. And only Ego or family will make him cook again. So obviously, I have a feeling we'll be talking about some of that when we get to Breaking Bad this week. Um, Andrea, RIP, not really, (laughs) says that we are dead on with our praise for Betsy Brandt. Um, And they've been a big fan of her since the beginning of the show. Even when she hasn't had as much to do, she always brings a lot to that character. Absolutely agree. Obviously, we're all on the Betsy Brent bandwagon, I guess. <laughs> Mario disagrees, he said, with me. From last week, he says that Walt does care about Jesse or he wouldn't have okayed Alaska. Then let's see. So, so it wasn't all Breaking Bad talk this week. I also talked with uh, Amory, Kyle, Carl, and Eric about pilots. There's a lot of, of, of pilot talk going on. We will have our fall preview next week, actually. But... Uh, yeah, it'll be a little different this year because I have actually seen most of the pilots as opposed to our usual you're sort of... S- you're so lucky. Yeah, I know. I'm just the most fortunate person in the world. You get to watch Super Fun Night before everyone else. Yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> Mario uh, is getting stoked for the new season of The Amazing Race. Of course, Mario won the pool last year. We will be doing our Amazing Race pool this year as well. Hopefully, you guys will join in. Let me know if you are interested. Send an email to theteleverse at gmail.com, and I will invite you to the pool. We will have uh, have a good time. Team not Simon, once again, in, in full force. Are you going to jump in with the pool this year? Uh, when does the show start? Not for a few weeks. Okay. Well, then maybe. If it's if it was this week or next week, I think I might just have to pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it's, it'll be coming up here towards the end of September. Uh, September, September 29th, which has the premieres of way too many things. Mm-hmm. 
uh, including amongst them The Amazing Race. Wait a second. Is that the same night that Breaking Bad ends and Masters of Sex premieres? And The Good Wife starts. Oh, and, sweet yeah. lord. <laughs> yeah. There's just like I'm just everything. Gonna, I'm just going to note that on my calendar as the TV apocalypse. It is the TV apocalypse. Uh, it was Joanna from Pajiba was already talking about that uh, like last week on Twitter about how it's just like an explosion of 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 new TV and that's very exciting unless you're trying to cover all of TV and, like like we do at Sunday Night. And if you're me and you're not going to be home till midnight Eastern. <laughs> yep, it'll be fun. Uh, especially yes. for, for Simon there. But we also talked to TV Pet Peeves. That I'll bring that up a little later in the show during a particular portion of our week in TV. But I, I asked people what their favorite pet peeves were, their biggest pet peeves were. Watching TV, Carl says uh, when sec- secondary characters get way more screen time, which basically means they're about to die. So, yep, totally. And Swedge says when characters out of the blue are really good actors. Just like the plot necessitates, and all of a sudden they have this phenomenal acting talent mm-hmm. that has until then remained dormant. But yeah, I'm curious what your guys' favorite TV pet peeves are, so let me know. Simon, anything come to mind? Oh, you know me. I think it's probably obnoxious underscoring in general. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I was saying the other night that uh, when when characters, for no reason, complete, they're cu- culturally illiterate, uh, all but cultural illiterate, and then they bust out some completely like baroque literary quote. Just this lengthy, like multiple sentence long. I don't know why they would possibly know that, but they don't ever reference anything else. And yet, here's this meaningful, lingering shot on them as they say this deeply profound quote from Dostoevsky or or, or Plato or. It just, yeah, that happens way too frequently. I'm sure that Sorkin's done that at least 50 times. Yeah, but at least his characters are supposed to know that kind of stuff. For the most know? part, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll talk more about that later. But uh, we didn't get any new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but there's lots going on at Sound on Site, as previously stated. Tiff and Tiffiness. Tiffiness, yes. That's going to be going until, I mean, the fest ends on the 15th. I'm guessing we're not going to get all reviews up till probably the 20th. So, yeah, it's going to be going for a while. Lots more coverage coming for that. First on TV it is also Greatest Finales Month. And just this week, my Quantum Leap, Blackadder, and Larry Sanders shows finale reviews have gone up. There's lots of other people contributing to that as well. I believe Randy has his Freaks and Geeks finale review up, and there are several others. So check that out at Sound on Sight TV. And it's it's also Elmore Leonard Month. It's also it's a lot of stuff. So just check out Sound on Sight. You'll be glad you did. But let's get into this week in TV. Yes. 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 So much enthusiasm. I love it. Well, we'll kick things off with the comedy and a little reality as well. Right after this. Here we go. You excited? Am I excited? <laughs> yes, I am. D. Wait. 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 I made a mistake. All this time I've been searching for the perfect guy to take you off my hands forever, but I realized something. The perfect guy's been under my nose the entire time. It's me, Dee. I'm the perfect select. I know, I've spent my entire life shitting all over your dreams and not supporting you, but I was wrong, Dee. I see that now. You can succeed. You will be a star. You have to take me. I'm your twin brother. I love you, Dee. Dennis. Suck my dick. Uh, uh, 
do this, D. D, wait. D, stop. Don't fly away now. D, wait. This week in comedy, we have the series finale of Futurama, take two. That's called Meanwhile. We have the Wilford finale, Regrets. We have the premieres of Last Tango in Halifax, Always Sunny, and The League, as well as Children's Hospital, Old Fashioned Day, and NTSF SDSUV, A Hard Drive to Swallow. First, let's kick things off with Futurama. So, did you, have you seen the first series finale of Futurama? I have. It's so, it's one of the best episodes. Uh, the Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings? Yes, exactly. It's a beautiful, beautiful episode. Love it so much. How did this second series finale stack up to to that series finale as well as the show as a whole? I would say it was probably about 45% as good as The Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings. Does that sound right to you? Uh, I wouldn't. I would say a little higher, I guess. But for me, that's still saying quite a lot because I love The Devil's Hands Are Idle Playthings. So even just being 50% as good as that one is still a really solid episode and and i thought it actually worked really well as a finale so i actually really ended up liking it quite a bit uh i thought it was all right i mean in terms of episodes of futurama going for sort of an emotional core i think they've done better uh which is a little you know which is too bad because it's pro it's apparently the last episode they're gonna do i'll never believe futurama's dead until everyone involved is in the ground because <laughs> it just i mean if they did nine seasons nine that's ridiculous um, but you know, it, it's certainly not a bad episode. I, I, I kind of wish they'd milked that visual gag a little bit longer of Fry just falling down the building over and over. Cause it was so good. Um, and especially just the bloody viscera everywhere was, wow. I was kind of shocked they went that far with it. But, uh, you know, I, I was, I was looking at my watch and waiting for that moment when everything gets magically fixed because it just, you know, you know that it's going to happen and that's how Futurama works. And I I was reasonably pleased with the way it happened. I didn't think that, you know, com- compared to the five or six, you know, best Fry and Lila episodes, I don't think this was quite as good. But in terms of ways for them to go out, I kind of wish they'd found a way to go out that would have used the ensemble a little bit more. But, you know, see which is actually my general problem with Futurama over the last couple seasons is they'll take an episode and focus on a character or two at a time instead of, you know, really finding something for the whole gang to do that incorporates everyone. But, you know, R.I.P. Futurama, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm, lo- I'm, I'm making my skeptical face in Futurama's direction. Yeah, they, it, they will be back, if nothing else, for a crossover, I believe, with The Simpsons yes. later. So we will be seeing these characters again, regardless of if they get resurrected once more. But I, I, I'm more positive on this finale than you are. I absolutely agree about the ensemble, but... I'm more forgiving of that, I think, because for me, Futurama, as much as I love all these other characters, the emotional heart almost always comes down to Fry and Leela for me. So because of that, I felt like this was a really satisfying finale. As as much as I love Zoidberg and I love Bender and all, they've done such a great job creating these very memorable, very colorful characters. I still am more invested in Fry and Leela than any than any of the other characters, and. And uh, I thought they did a great job of not pretending like there was any question about their relationship or is she going to say yes. I thought that was well handled. And I, I just it was a nice statement on permanence and, and just animation in general. Having everybody everything frozen after the show's done, is it just a, a static drawing? I thought there was a lot going on there that 
that was really interesting and fun to think about. And there were just some really good gags in there as well, like the like the horrifying splat of fry over and over again. And uh, yeah, so I, I, on the span of the whole series, is one of my favorites. No, but in the recent years, I think. It, it connected with me more than than most of the other episodes I've seen in the past couple of years. I would agree with that. I'll, I'll give it to them for that, and I will definitely miss miss Futurama. But let's move on to Wilfred and regrets. <laughs> so let's talk about that last shot. I hadn't seen Wilfred yet when when you messaged me and said, "If that's the last shot of Wilfred we ever get, I'm kind of okay with it." I was not expecting a blatant. <laughs> Lost, lost rip off. <laughs> I was, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I had no idea what that would mean. I did not. I just did not think it would be down to the music and the angling and the foliage. Who decides when they have? <laughs> they're really not sure if the show is going to get picked up. I don't think anybody is really sure if if Wilfred's coming back or not at this moment. Who decides our last statement of the show is going to be? an homage, I guess, to another show, as opposed to anything about what the show actually is or what the characters are. Wow. Yeah, when I made that statement, uh, I, I, I made it deliberately ambiguous because I wasn't sure if you'd seen the show or not and you hadn't. What I meant was I felt like that was the perfect representation of this season in mm -hmm. particular, where it's just like, map. <laughs> that's that's pretty much seems to be the whole approach this week. I mean, I appreciated that in the finale stuff actually happened, which, mm -hmm. if anything, they crammed like six episodes worth of incident into one episode. Yeah. So, you know, good for them. I thought I was not pleased with the way they killed off Ryan's father. I thought it was really cheap. Uh, I was not, I was also not fond of what happened with Jenna mm -hmm. and... Or just them flip-flopping on that again. So hardcore, yeah. Which, why? If you, again, like so many baffling decisions of if you weren't sure, if you, if you it, it didn't work as a series finale. Really doesn't work as a series finale. It didn't really work as a season finale either. Yeah. And to, and, and to approach it, like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm like you, I'm trying to think about what, like, writing like writing that episode and thinking that works for this and it clearly doesn't i'm trying to figure out the methodology and it's just not there i will say that some of it was really funny mm -hmm. uh it was like funnier than other recent episodes uh, so i'll give it that but yeah it just made my head hurt yeah and and there is sort of a just an impish quality to that last shot it's sort of like a screw you guys. This is what we're gonna yeah. do, and that fits with the you know sort of the tone of Wilfred, and that can be fun if the rest of the episode had been satisfying in in a finale kind of way. And I absolutely agree. There was some really funny stuff. Just the whole <laughs> Wilfred's uh, try attempt to figure out who the other guy is, and at first I thought it was you, but that was ridiculous. You're not nearly yeah. masculine enough. Uh, so the various, you know, playing with that I thought worked really well. And this notion of what, you know, Wilfred is not Ryan's dog. So if things with Jenna are not okay, that severely impacts all of our main characters. And right. that, so that was interesting as well. But just, I, I would agree, too much going on, not particularly well well handled from a, I just, the, the little swirly icon thing they just they, they went all in on on the wrong aspects of the show this season 
Like the, they, they looked at the board of what are the various descriptors or elements of the show and they doubled down on the ones I care the least about. And uh, that happened in this finale as well. So I still enjoyed enjoyed it as an episode on the, on the whole, but definitely a disappointment, definitely a downturn from last season. And I, I would have stopped watching in the middle of the season if it weren't for my season pass for the DVR. So if it doesn't come back as much as I will miss the potential of this show and how good it can be and was at its best, I'm, I'm not... I'm not shedding a tear. This is not in the Ben and Kate Bunheads world of, you know, if it yeah, get canceled yeah. of, I can't believe this show isn't on my television anymore. Yeah. And, and also if it gets canceled, I don't need like the showrunners to come out and say, okay, guys, this is what we would have done. Like, yeah. I don't, I not don't sure. care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we, I just wanted to mention Last Tango in Halifax, which premiered Sunday on PBS, and we talked about it last week. We both really liked it, and hopefully you guys checked it out. Now that they've seen it, any more spoilery thoughts, or that's, shall we move on? I, I think we, we said our piece. It's yeah. cute. It's fun. It's slightly odd in terms of tone and places, but still, it's it's good. You should watch it, especially if you're stressed out by Breaking Bad. Definitely. Oh, that would... What a tonal whiplash, but like a really nice sweet come down afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you may you may especially need that in three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk about Always Sunny, The Gang Broke D. Wasn't it just so funny? Comedy winner. So easily the comedy winner. Oh my God, it was amazing. Uh, and not only was it hilarious, but I would say that the, 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 the twist in this episode, which I don't even want to spoil for people who haven't seen it, is so deftly executed. It's yeah. better executed than almost any drama plot twist I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. It's that good. And they, you know, we and we've had six episodes of Breaking Bad or whatever. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's like it's a masterclass in writing this sort of thing. And also, I mean, you're watching new comedy pilots. It's so like I as as much as you know, it's easy to take Always Sunny for granted. You know, considering last season wasn't that great, and they've been around for about seventeen years now. Um, not actually, but it feels that way. It's, I feel like it's easy to take them for granted. And I feel like when you watch any other new comedy and they, and they try to get a balance of sort of mean spiritedness and, you know, not mean spiritedness, it just always feels wrong. And yet somehow always Sunny manages to be almost completely mean spirited and it works. And I can, smarter minds than I will be able to figure out why other than it just, is really really funny while it does it. Yeah, and when you talk about under undervalued, underappreciated, I think starting out not just the season of Always Sunny, but also FXX with with a episode that 100% highlights Caitlin Olsen is a beautiful thing. She is an absolutely underappreciated by myself as well at times comedic female comedic voice on television right now, and she's just fantastic throughout this episode and. I, I would put this episode right up there with any of the other Emmy sub- submissions. You know, best female lead in a comedy. This is right up there with Julia Louis Dreyfus, with Lena Dunham, with any of the other women who are going to be in contention. This would be for next season. And uh, yeah, uh, I just I was laughing my butt off. Like I said last week, I was so happy to hear the theme song again. I didn't realize how much I had missed it, and to have it come back so firing on all cylinders and so strongly. It, I, it was a wonderful, wonderful surprise. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this 
episode was better than everything last season. <laughs> I mean, I, I could yeah. be misremembering. But Halloween. Halloween was very good with the McCoys. Halloween was good, but still, the whole season just felt so like, weirdly... And they even seem to acknowledge it on the show. It just seemed kind of lazy. And this didn't feel lazy at all. It felt tightly constructed. It felt actually methodically thought out. Mm -hmm. And like in a way the show hasn't been in a long time. And it was hilarious. So hats off to the Always Sunny crew. I thought they nailed it. Yep. Next week, just not, at least for me, not as strong next week, but two weeks back on form. So we'll talk about it more next week. Let's talk about the league, though. The Bachelor draft. What'd you think? Uh, it was the leaguey. I mean, <laughs> I I don't know if we're going to need to follow the league this season because I have so little to say about it. I mean, it's uh, it, for anyone who doesn't watch it, you know, you need to know that it's heavily improv based. So it's mostly a lot of fairly funny people and a couple of very funny people riffing a lot. And that's pretty much it. I mean, the the plot is minimal at best. Uh, even compared to the likes of Always Sunny. And I don't know, I thought it was a, a, a fine premiere. I feel, I, I still feel like the league is probably never going to match its second season. Uh, and I don't think it has yet, but it's it's a likable enough show. I don't think anything involved with the league, league though, I appreciated nearly as much as Jean Lajoie's Miley Cyrus commentary video, which I you should go and watch, Kate, at some point. I think you'll enjoy it. I've done just fine not seeing anything about Miley Cyrus. That oh. that joke on So You Think You Can Dance last week was the closest I've gotten to actually following that. I I, I think I know you pretty well. And I okay. think you would I think you would okay. appreciate it. Okay, I'll have to check it out. As for the league, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a very funny, very very leaguey, like you say, episode. And again, a really strong start for the show on this new network. And uh, yeah, I, I just love watching the league and NTSF in the same, almost the same night, like just a night apart and watching Paul Shear is just so much fun and such completely different characters. So yeah, I, I laughed aloud a lot and I'm glad to have the league back. And again, so perfectly paired with Always Sunny. Like you were saying earlier, these other shows trying to do mean-spirited, they don't, they don't get the balance right. And there's a camaraderie to, to both Always Sunny and The League. These people are all terrible, but they, they have a dynamic that is very very carefully constructed over years of knowing each other, each of these groups, that uh, it's a self-sustaining ecosystem, as it were. And and these other shows don't seem to get the various roles within the group quite as well as as either of these shows. If I had to guess, just thinking about these shows and how they get it right, I think it's about equality. Like, obviously, Paul Shear's character is meant to be more pathetic than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, everyone gets a chance to be an idiot, yeah, on the league, and certainly it's true of Always Sunny that no character gets off easy at all. Every single character has been manifestly one hundred percent awful. Even Charlie, who is sort of the lovable scamp, has mm-hmm. definitely had episodes where he's just a horror. Like he's just obviously he was horrible. I mean, it just happened. Yeah, <laughs> uh, where you know, and so many other series just make the mistake of thinking that oh, we can pick on one or two characters because they're fat or because they're women or because they're gay or because they're got a different skin color mm-hmm. uh you know and then and then but it's but it's post-racial or you know whatever it's yeah. no it's if you're not if it's not open season on everybody it's not gonna work absolutely let's move on to children's hospital old-fashioned day and ntsf sdsuv a hard drive to swallow which one wins the battle of the adult swim comedies 
I'll give it to Children's again this week, uh, if only for the future Doctor gag, which was brilliant with James Urbaniak. Uh, that was brilliant. Uh, the rest of the episode was good, but that was brilliant. Uh, <laughs> NTSF barely registered with me, and that's probably because I'm, I don't know, internet-based humor, not my forte. I did enjoy the the training to be a a viral video, you know, guru. Right, yeah, the Hall of Haters. Yeah, the the Hall of Haters, and that whole that whole sequence really worked for me. Uh, in much the same way that the training sequence for the impressions last week on children's worked for you. And uh, so, yeah, I did actually have a lot of fun with, with that, but I would also give it to old fashioned day. And it's always nice. Those few moments where they let Cordry, Rob Cordry's character uh, actually, you know, not be the butt of every joke, actually get a little bit of success or, or appreciation is always fun for me and uh yeah two i would say not their best this season but but solid but i still got to give the weekend tv strongly to always sunny yep i agree this week in reality we have the so you think you can dance performance finale but before we talk about that i wanted to mention totally biased with w Kyle bell which of course is kicking off its new with, with its new daily format on fxx i hadn't seen it before but i figured i would tune in to to see you know because i I had heard so many positive things. I think it has a really interesting comedic voice and an underrepresented one. It's nice to have a different approach to some of the the news or what's going on in the world that we're not really seeing represented elsewhere on late night. However, I, I have some reservations about Bell as a live presenter. He seems sort of awkward in front of the, the audience, and maybe that's just first night jitters, but... I look forward to checking in in a few weeks to see if he's more comfortable out there. There was just sort of some sort of awkward timing and he doesn't quite have uh while I enjoy some of the humor, I disagree with some of the stuff just politically or whatever, but, but it's, I can appreciate the humor that is, you know, that it's done well, even the, the bits that don't necessarily speak to, to, to my sensibilities uh, but but yeah, he's he seems a little awkward. So I look forward to checking in now and again to watch him grow into. I'm sure he'll become more confident in that role, especially on a on a nightly basis. So that's that's what I have to say about totally biased. Have, have you seen any of the show? I've I've seen a segment here and there. I think uh, well, especially that extended segment they put online about sort of rape culture and feminism and sort of and rape humor and whether there's a place for that, etc. I thought that was great. Uh, and if if the level of discussion actually manages to get like that on a, maybe, I guess not a daily basis, but at least, you know, once a week, I'll, I'd be impressed. Okay. Well, uh, we'll have to check in in a few weeks and and have you watch it and myself as well and, and kind of give our thoughts there, then. But uh, it's good. It's a good voice to have on television, seems to me. But let's talk about the So You Think You Can Dance performance finale. We saw our main four doing, our final four doing all sorts of different dances. I was really distracted by the direction this week. Was that just me? I did notice someone seemed to keep keep hitting the camera. <laughs> did yeah. you notice that? Well, they, they just kept cutting to... There were two people dancing in each of these things, and they kept cutting to one of them and not including the other person in the frame. And hold, it was just incredibly awkward. Why would you do that? Just plant the camera and let us watch them dance. Yeah, I, I can't say I noticed that. I just noticed that someone seemed to be drunk back there. But uh, the let's I mean, there were 20 dances this week. So it's, forgive me if I can't rec recollect every single one of them individually. 
Uh, I did think it was really cool to see Fiction and Jasmine paired up. Mm-hmm. And at first you're like, this is going to be a train wreck. And then it was <laughs> actually great. I thought it was one of the best of the night. I really loved the uh, the comfort in Jasmine number. And it was so smart of Jasmine to, to pick hip hop instead of placing yourself directly next to Amy with contemporary. And uh, I'm so glad that it, that it was comfort and not another Twitch number or, you know, I think they need to do more same gender dances on this show. Cause I think uh, they're, they're, they're limiting themselves by constantly having it be, be uh, a man and a woman instead of, you know, two men or two women. I think there's a lot more variety they could get out of it. And this is a perfect example. Yeah, well, Aaron and Fiction's number two was pretty adorable. Oh, it was great. Yeah, they they did. Th- th- those are the kind of Broadway numbers that I really enjoy, and just the the energy of it, and it was very well choreographed and very well executed. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, the other standouts for me were the Robert and Amy number. I, th- I really enjoyed that, and I thought the tap numbers for Aaron were were pretty great. Well, especially the tap duet was was like probably my favorite tap thing that they've done. Yeah. Can you imagine them going, oh, crap, we have to find a an all-star tapper? Yeah, so they had to go back how far? I, yeah, it was it was a while back, but um, but no, I thought they were pretty great. Now, the, are there any, were there any lowlights for you? Oh, well, I mean, the main lowlight for me was, what was the Olympian's name? Gabby Douglas. Gabby Douglas. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, she's clearly very accomplished, but in terms of So You Think You Can Dance, I thought she wasn't very useful no she didn't and if she hadn't said i loved it or it was great for every single number that might have helped i wish you and and i wish you all the best yeah well because i think there's a very interesting perspective there as someone who is also very young and very driven and has dedicated their life to pursuit of excellence in their field the way that most of the competitors on the show have been doing dance their entire life i think that that there's an interesting perspective there but and i like that she kept it brief that was very good (laughs) yes Yes, that brief was definitely the best part. And it, it was I was just amazed that someone managed to show up and be less useful than Paula Abdul, who at least chimed in every once in a while with something interesting. Yeah, but she made it about herself constantly. That is true. She did that. Hugely frustrating. I, I preferred Gabby Douglas significantly over Paula. And she's going to be back for next week as well. But at least we're getting Adam Shankman, who I always enjoy as a as, as the final guest judge or whatever. But um, yeah, the... I, I really was hoping they were going to get Applegate back because she's just she wins <laughs> at judging, um, but apparently not this year. Who would you say uh, do you think is going to get the votes? I, I don't know. I'm gonna say I, I'm I'm gonna go with Amy in fiction. Okay. I think I I just I just feel I just it's just how I feel. I don't think they they're the best, but I think that. They are. That's just. That's how I think the votes are going to break. Don't ask me why. You know, maybe it's just because I can't imagine that many tap fans out there. Yeah, I guess. And the and the, and the ladies, I'm really just guessing. <laughs> well, I think Jasmine and Amy are both so incredibly talented. Oh, we got to talk about their number. What was that about? That's what we're going to end on. Uh, I don't even remember it. The, now. the, the, the Siamese twins from the jungles of. Oh those... yeah, that was. <laughs> oh my god! Now that okay, that premise for a dance could be awesome that could just be crazy and out there and fun right but, but they're wearing these earthbound costumes and it's like what? It, the choreography was they, they they have these two incredibly talented dancers and they don't do anything with them it was ridiculous yeah. it was really bad yeah was really bad. wow 
really and bad. it was such a and it was such a bizarre counterpoint to that amazing number we got at the end of last week which mm-hmm. sort of went for something similar but did it way better yeah uh yeah this, that was whew. yeah uh, which is uh, which uh, otherwise i thought it was a really good night for amy mm-hmm. but yeah not so much there not so much there but i think they're both incredibly talented and they have different strengths they both can do certain things that the other one can't so i i flip a coin as far as I'm concerned, uh, f- between the two of them. And then with the guys, I, mean, I would give it to Aaron. And Aaron has not been in the bottom, and Fiction has been in the bottom. So that makes me think that Aaron's more likely to get the popular vote, but it really could go either way. Yeah, and I mean, Fiction's just so damn charming. He played to his strengths with the solo. Yeah, he really did. Uh, and not, But not in a cheap way. I just thought, mm-hmm. he, you know, he, he knows... He, he went all in on Adorable. He went all in on adorable, but he also has been showing off not adorable stuff lately, which mm-hmm. and I think he's been getting much like Amy. I think their their sort of path has been kind of similar. Like they both managed to mature on stage in a really palpable way which, that I think has been really impressive. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's any shame in any of these people winning. So that's always a good outcome. Definitely. Well, let's take a break and come back with our week in drama because there's plenty more shows to talk about. So we'll be right back. <laughs> yes, there is. The boat that was burned, that has Danny's DNA in it, was your brother's? Yeah, it was just left, just off the beach, with the motor chained to it. I mean, anyone could have taken it. These bolt cutters. Who knew he was there? Well, everyone did. It wasn't a secret. Your son Tom, did he know? Yeah, why? Did Danny? I don't know. All right, well, see if forensics can get any other prints or DNA off the shards. Match them against all the elimination prints. Oh, and um, funny thing, I had to tell someone. Um, Sucko Brian just asked me out. Brian, why would you do that? Oh, thanks a lot. You're married. Well, that's what I told him. But it didn't seem to phase him. Flattering? Well, sort of, but it's Sucko. They've had the hand everywhere. Dusty Brian. Yeah. So, do you think we'll get them together? Well. This week in drama, we're going to preview the first three episodes of Sons of Anarchy Season 6. We'll talk about the Boardwalk Empire premiere, New York Sour, Strike Back, Shadow Warfare, Broadchurch, The Newsroom, The Bridge, and Breaking Bad. Let's kick things off with Sons of Anarchy. I watched the first three episodes of this, this upcoming season. It premieres on Tuesday night, actually, I believe, tonight. And as you're listening to this or as we're recording, I've never seen Sins of Anarchy before these episodes. So, <laughs> and how long was the previously on? It was actually, it was, it was pretty brief. They, 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 uh, they don't actually need that much of a previously on as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm very tangentially aware because we've been covering Sons of Anarchy at the website. And so, you know, as the reviews have gone up, I, I'm, sort of, I'm aware of who these characters are and the general outlines of their journeys. And uh, this is it's an interesting show because when I was what what prompted my discussion of TV pet peeves are the number of them that I was experiencing in these first three episodes of Sons of Anarchy. And uh, a big one for me is whenever anytime anybody says I'm not a rat, I'm immediately drawn out of the action. I, I feel like nobody has ever said that convincingly in a movie or a TV show. And yet the scene where someone says that in one of these episodes immediately I was immediately drawn out and then the performance from the actor immediately drew me back in 
in the next like two or three seconds, I was just completely out of it. And then they pulled me right back in because there's a lot of really talented actors on this show. So while they're doing certain things that are just just mind bogglingly annoying to me, they also are getting other things absolutely right. So it's 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 an interesting mix. And I think if you like Sons of Anarchy, if you're already on board with these characters, you'll probably really like these episodes start that kick off the sixth season. There's a lot of the s- similar dynamics with, with the group, or at least what I understand to be similar dynamics w- within the group. But there's a lot of really interesting new things coming up as well. I really like the addition of... Uh, well, Donald Logue was in last season. He's here, and some of his scenes... I'm not huge on, but then he gets a lot more range later in the first episode, but then interspersed throughout the second and third. I really don't know what to expect from that character, and that's interesting to me. CCH Pounder shows up and and could be a lot of fun. Robin Weigert, I really enjoy. It's nice to see her here as as the attorney for for, for Tara. And just you know, some of what's going on. I'm very intrigued by Drea de Mateo's uh, that 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 Wendy character again. I don't. I'm not very familiar with with the dynamics everywhere with all these different groups, but it it should be it should be fun to watch. And Peter Weller shows up, and Kim Dickens. It's nice to see her getting some more work. And so, I, I guess it, it's interesting to watch for for the performances, as far as I'm concerned. They get some of the action right, but then others other elements of the action. Like there, there, there's like fights and punch outs, and I don't believe any of the punches. Like this, just the the stunts aren't good enough, I guess, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it's just so fun to watch Jimmy Smiths be on my TV that at a certain point I don't care. So, so I, I'm on the fence about about Sons of Anarchy. I'm certainly not invested in the long term. There's a there's a recurring sort of end of season thing that's already starting starting up in the premiere. So, so I'm, that I'm sure will pay off later on, and for long-term viewers, that will have much more emotional resonance with them. And I'm not invested in that at all. Also, I don't understand how Charlie Hunnam is getting cast everywhere because, well, I think he's, I don't have a problem with him. He definitely doesn't, he doesn't blow me away in anything, and I keep being distracted by his a really unfortunate accent work. Well, and I haven't seen these first three episodes, but it's it's whenever I start up with Sons of Anarchy again, which. I don't know if I ever will again. I'm always just blown away at they assemble this incredible cast mm-hmm. and Charlie Hunnam is at the center of it. Like, yeah. how, how did this happen? Yeah. So, so it, it's sort of that, that, you know, that element does become distracting for me. And, um, and they, I haven't, there hasn't been a lot for him to do in these besides just be the leader and do some, you know, be, be kind of brooding and, be central guy there there's central guy there's there's more going on with the the more periphery characters um but but certain elements of even katie seagal's performance there are certain scenes that i was loving and others that didn't connect for me so so i'm not sure i'm really not sure where where i i sit with sons of anarchy um but the satisfying moments were incredibly satisfying and uh and there could be there could be good to come. I don't know. This is not the most helpful review, <laughs> I think. No, but I think it's representative. I mean, if you're sitting around waiting for Sons of Anarchy to get its act together, like totally in a way where everything connects and it's beautiful and it, it works, probably never going to happen for more than about 15 minutes at a time. Well, and uh, when I 
just started watching, we started watching Strike Back this season, and I hadn't seen it before, and I started watching Sons of Anarchy with these episodes, hadn't seen it before. Maybe it's because they try way harder to make the Strike Back characters likable in an action buddy cop kind of way. So maybe that's part of it. But I am way more connected after watching four episodes of Strike Back, or even before I watched this week's episode, three and three, for for each show, I care way more about the Strike Back guys or in the emotional resonance of what's going on there. It's maybe it's just because it's kind of hard to care about some of these uh, some of these main characters. There's a situation uh, in the first the first episode ends with a very significant event, and uh, and it's hard to for me to get emotionally invested, I suppose in characters who have the sort of reaction that they do to the significant event at the end of the first <laughs> episode that I, you know, so I, I, so I guess maybe there's some disconnect there, but again, it is, you know, if you like Sons of Anarchy, you will, you will, I think really enjoy these episodes and, and even not being connected to these characters at all. There were certainly moments of performance, especially from, from Maggie Siff, from from Jimmy Smith, from a lot of this cast. I was just so glad to see them all on my TV again. And and even the ones I was less familiar with, I, I did really connect with with certain moments. So so I guess I see the attraction even if I'm not wholly on board. Fair enough. And with that let's go to the Boardwalk Empire premiere New York Sour. I also had not seen any Boardwalk Empire before this week and uh, I will be reviewing it week to week at Sound on Sight. So this should be a very I expect lots of hate in the comment section for You're all the things the I missed. You're doing the Boardwalk Empire reviews? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh well, I mean I've seen all of Boardwalk Empire and this was not their best premiere. Um it was weirdly muted. Uh, and I, it's weird to say that about an episode where a guy gets stabbed in the face repeatedly with a broken bottle, but uh, it just felt like there's no like he, like I feel like last year's premiere almost too schematically, but still introduced Jip Rossetti, so you had a pretty good idea of where the season was headed. I have no idea where this season is headed. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it would be nice to get a little momentum going. I mean, Je- they put Jeffrey Wright in the opening credits, but he is nowhere to be seen yet. I don't know. I assume we're going to see Kelly McDonald at some point, who I was really missing this week. Apparently not for at least the first four, maybe even the first five. So just Ouch. just know that going into the season. Okay, that hurts because she had a really good arc last season. And uh, yeah, that's upsetting to me. But uh, there was just there was some good stuff here and there, but definitely not a, a level Boardwalk Empire for me. Yeah, well, it's interesting, the the difference in perspective, and this is why I felt okay tackling the reviews this season, not having seen it, because it does give you a very different perspective. This premiere worked really well to introduce me to the show, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not the show at its absolute peak, but I, I felt like I knew a, each of these characters really well and really quickly, got a sense of, of who they are and um, what they're... What they're life is like and what their kind of choices that they will be making over the course of the season. Got a good sense of each of the locations and uh, enough of an intriguing tease about a few of the characters that I do want to tune back in. That being said, it was not the most memorable episode 
ever. And so, no. so even just, I watched the episode and was, and then I, I was up doing Iron Man stuff. So I watched the episode and then wrote about it later the next day. And I, just, I was having a little trouble recalling certain things that happened. And it was only 24 hours later. So, so maybe because I don't have that connection with the characters yet, I'm sure I will get that in the next few weeks. Certain things didn't stick with me as much as one would hope a premiere would. But you have the Jack Houston character who is appropriately intriguing. I had heard much about that, that character and that performance, and I was glad to see him live up to that hype. And so that was really interesting. And, and again, it's just so chillingly methodical and really straightforward. I love that approach, and that was really, that was really fun. And then I also am very intrigued by this Agent Knox guy who I, I wanted to immediately look up on Wikipedia and see where he fits historically, if he's an original character or a historical character. I thought that was really interesting. The Treasury Officer. And then even just Jillian uh, Darmody, who I, I don't really feel like I have a handle on that character, but I'm already <laughs> interested. does. I'm interested in her already after just a few scenes. So I don't know what's coming next, but yeah, and I also thought the the scenes at the club and with those characters, with Chalky and with his right hand man, there's way more going on in a social context, I should say, with those care with those scenes and those characters. The show seems interested in examining the social, uh, sociological makeup of the city and of just sort of looking at the the mores of the time when they're dealing with those characters. So when we're at the Onyx Club and we're seeing the audience watch the this performance of the Onyx girls or their whatever the dance the dancers and the the audience is at least 50% female and it's and so it's not a sexual thing so much as a racial sort of thing. I think there's a lot of really interesting mm -hmm. things going on there, but I didn't see that throughout the rest of the episode. So there's just sort of some I can see some of what they're doing, and I think it's really interesting, but then I, I'm confused as to why it's not carried across. Now, is this – there's a staginess to, to several of the scenes that that was odd to me. Is that more normal, and the, the very naturalistic scenes were the exception, or were the stagey scenes the exception? Boardwalk Empire is pretty damn stagey. Um, okay. In a way that many other shows aren't. Uh, it's also, I mean, the thing that about Boardwalk Empire that makes me okay with watching it, even when it's not that great, is that it's always very pretty. And <laughs> clearly, it's got probably the most expensive production design on TV next to maybe Game of Thrones. It's probably kind of a toss-up. I mean, they did build a town, Deadwood style, so there's that. Um, and, you know, giant explosions, etc., so, you know, it, it's never boring to look at, but yeah, there is, if I had to, I would have really struggled to summarize this episode because it did seem like very little of consequence actually happened. It's mostly just sort of getting you up to speed with what, where everyone is after the fallout from last season. So it's, it's one of those sort of lurching premieres. I assume we're going to get Jeffrey Wright next week. Uh, I would also really like to know what the hell Michael Shannon's character is up to because his portion of last season was comedy gold it was so good and i it was it was strange to see him in the previously on and then not in the episode yeah i've heard so much about that performance and i kind of want to go back and watch the earlier seasons just for that performance i don't feel any compulsion to watch the show otherwise i i really hope someone's put together a supercut of his scenes because they have nothing to do with the rest of the series nothing okay and then. there's and they're like they're to his plot line is almost completely isolated almost all of the time and especially last season, it was just like watching a Coen Brothers movie in miniature. Interesting. 
Well, uh, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, he'll show up next week. But let's move on to Strike Back: Shadow Warfare. This is episode four. You haven't seen it yet, and I, I, I still need to catch up on Strike Back. As I said, as I messaged you earlier, shit went down uh, this week. So I'm going to keep it spoiler free so that you can catch up. But this was a significant episode, and I thought the I thought the Oh man, how do I talk about this episode without spoiling it? Okay, <laughs> the, the some of the choices the characters made were were interesting, and I thought were not whitewashed and were were handled um, appropriately. And we'll talk about that more when you've seen it. the 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 show added and subtracted characters in a way I was not anticipating, particularly given who was in attendance at Comic-Con at the panel that they did. I was really not predicting a certain thing that happens. And see, again, when I compare something like Sins of Anarchy with Strike Back, there's, you don't have the same melodrama that, that you do with Sons of Anarchy, but you do have action and you can't, you can't even compare the Strike Back action with the Sons of Anarchy action. It's just so much more visceral. Well, it also helps that they have a roughly one fiftieth the characters. Yes, that does that does help, but it doesn't necessarily help when you have a shootout. That's with, true. With a lot of care, you know, with a bunch of characters who you've never met before, but but they call in some reinforcements, and nameless reinforcement dude from the army or something shows up, and and yet I have so I have no emotional connection with them, and yet the the scene is just so much better that it doesn't matter. Uh, so, so yeah, this was a really emotional, um, and, and an entertaining episode. It didn't have quite the wallop of episode, I believe it was episode two of this season with Rebecca. That was way more affecting than anything in this episode, but it was just, it was very satisfying and very surprising. And I look forward to what comes next. So Send me an email or give me send me a tweet if you want to talk strike back. What away from the the spoiler phobic eyes of 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 Simon or any any of our listeners who have not caught up yet because I would love to talk some more strike back in a spoiler safe zone. But let's move on to Broadchurch episode five and uh, I thought David Bradley was great this week. I mean we kind of knew where this was going. What did you think? We kind of really have known where this was going for two or three episodes. And, and yes, David Bradley is really good, uh, and especially in that confrontation scene with the mob and uh, and uh, what's his name? But the um, uh, Mark. But the I mean, I was just really hoping they were going to do anything else with that, because, again, it's it's the same note for me with Broadchurch every week. I've seen this before. Do something else. I mean, I do like, you know, the, the chemistry between Coleman and Tennant is great. And especially they get into a little bit of jokiness, which I really appreciated because the show needs that so very badly. Mm-hmm. So badly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's three episodes left. I'm, I'm just glad the Jack Skelling thing is over with because, mm-hmm. you know. it's But it's weird. Broadchurch seems to be one thing after another that I'm hoping to just be over with rather yeah. than something I'm enjoying. Yeah, I'm... And I, I look. We'll talk about it as we get to that point in the season where things start to really come together. But the amount of praise that I've been seeing for Broadchurch, just critically, just in general, I kind of want to go. You, you guys watched 
top of the lake, right? And the fall. And the fall. And the I mean, like, that's... You, you did see top of the lake, right? Because that's how you do a really amazing mystery, murder mystery, or, or crime mystery kind of series. With, with no fat. Yeah, exactly. Which... That's my my real issue with Broadchurch is that compared to some of these other shows, those, those shows are so much leaner. And not just because they're shorter, but because there's no wasted material and no and no just marking time with stuff mm-hmm. we don't care about or where we know that it's going. Yeah, I do really like the like you said the comedy this week. I thought the that awkward ask like date like asking out of Coleman's character was hilarious. Just I'm married. Oh, that's yeah. important to you, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that, just that it was nice to see that little comic moment between her and and Tenet. Tenet's so great with comedy, and anybody who watched him on Doctor Who, you know, and saw him with uh, with in season four with Catherine Tate knows he's really great at those comedic moments. And so it's just a little bit more of that was much appreciated. And also just the that incredibly awkward sort of end of episode thing with him and the hotel. Uh, yes, woman. yeah, that was great. It was just uh, wonderfully played. Yeah, and it was nice to see Jodie Whittaker get to smash things because I feel like she should have gotten that a couple episodes ago. Yeah, and there there will be more with her in in the weeks ahead. Uh, but unless you have anything else, shall we move on to the newsroom? Yeah, let's let's do that. Election uh, night part one. Wow. Okay, it wasn't quite back to as bad as the newsroom gets. Actually, it wasn't even close. Yeah, but but there was still a lot of bad this week, and I think you'll agree with me. First of all. We had a whole lot of Sloan acting like an idiot on national television, which yeah. seemed wrong. Yeah, I would agree. I, I actually thought that whole um, elephant in the room thing was, was great. And I agreed absolutely with the PR person who's like, oh, no, that was that was exactly the right thing to do. Just, you know, point it out and then move on. Oh, that's funny because I, I was pretty sure she was being sarcastic. Oh, really? I, I, I yeah. Maybe, maybe she... she was supposed to be sarcastic, but... I mean, that seems like it would seem very odd to just like not mention this thing that only happened a couple months prior, and uh, we'll see what they do in the finale. There was this was very much a part one. It was a in a very significant way. It was a part one, but um, none of us think that Mac is leaving the show or is gonna no, get fired. or anyone is gonna resign. I mean, yeah. The, well, there's a few things wrong with that. First of all, it makes it. I mean, it makes it pretty clear that. He says he's going to fire her because of a personal issue. Yeah. Which, if she was going to get fired over stuff from six years ago, why not fire her immediately? He's not getting... She No, no, he's not firing her because of things from six years ago. He's firing her because she wants to be fired. And that's a gift. That's him giving her a gift to yeah, fire her. Yeah. But but it's, it's still, it's... Yeah. Because... None of us watching think any of these actors are going anywhere. Every time they protest that they need to be fired, they deserve it just feels incredibly false and yeah. self-serving. And it's like, oh, look how great our characters are. They want to be fired as if if they didn't want to be fired, they would not be deserving or, or some in some way. I don't It's just yeah. really, it's really, again, it, it makes me feel kind of like we were saying before, kind of smug and self-righteous. And that's, it's not, they're steering, they're not steering into the skid with some of these elements. And I'm hoping they're going to course correct in the finale. Right. How soon into next week do we find out that Don bought the stupid book? Oh God, you're right. Don totally did buy the book, didn't he? 
Yeah. How did you not figure that out immediately? Because I didn't care enough to think about it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But uh, but on the same topic, when is Neil going to get anything of substance to do ever? I feel like they've they've drawn out Dev Patel's scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it feels like a season ago he should have gotten promoted. Yeah. Or gotten something less thankless to do. And and drawing it on this long just makes it feel kind of horrible. Well, and they ta- they teased with the whole Occupy Wall Street thing, but then we're so immediately determined to just make fun of it and immediately dismiss it that because he supported it and he was all for covering it, he was again marginalized in his role in the in the yeah. office and it's like he's again he's talking about Bigfoot. Yeah. Just to be clear, he was on the ground level of a really amazing story and nobody cared. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and I really enjoyed Dev Patel. And, I, and that's the thing. I was looking forward to this episode. And for the most part, I enjoyed watching it in a very nondescript kind of way. So this is not the newsroom at its hate watching level. This is not, you know, I, I actually am interested to see what happens next week, but they can be so much better. Yeah, and I was, I even, like, I was starting to enjoy Marsha Gayhard's character, but then I was all the way back this week to just being like, what are yeah. they doing with her, with the whole liquid sex thing? Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, she's such an amazing actress, and I do not understand why they're writing her character this way at all. Well, and I, I'm I'm really over the lawyers are the devil joke that that's, seems to come up a lot in shows like this, and has come up several times, just with the title of the premiere first thing let's kill all the lawyers it's not the lawyer's fault yeah that don is being sued and and yet the 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 character and by extension the show because don is one of the characters who's mostly supposed to be right on this show uh we we have to demonize the character who's really good at her job and is doing her best to help them out and take a tidy sum while she's doing it but hey that's that is Oh, yeah. by the way, props to Grace Gummer for her attempt at the at the lampshading at the yeah. very top of the show. Yeah, it, she was doing her best, but it yeah. still it was very poor lampshading. Yes, definitely, and that, that's again down to the to the writing. But we've now watched two seasons of the newsroom when we could have not watched them. <laughs> it's true, and uh, I haven't. I mostly haven't regretted it because there's been some good laughs. Uh, <laughs> and hey, it's been renewed, hasn't it? Uh, I don't know. We, we we the actor Jeff Daniels tweeted out that it had been, but there has not been an official network uh, HBO press release. So Ooh. we'll see. Yeah, that's sort of uh, bad form for you know for the actor to announce it before the the network does. So we'll see what happens with that. But I would be surprised if it doesn't get picked up. Yeah. So hopefully it continues doing things that it's good at and can and doesn't do any of the many 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 other things that it's very very not good and very bad at speaking of the bridge the beetle oh, the bridge broke my fucking heart this week man uh yeah there's that shark jumping moment i mean maybe for some people maybe it happened last week but for me it was all about this um first of all let's i mean let's start with some good things it was nice to see catalina sandina marino get anything else to do even if it was pretty typical distress stuff she was great she got, showed a tiny little flash of what she can do so uh, good for her uh but man i'm anti-interested in david tate i'm anti-interested in his personal vendetta with marco i'm anti-interested in i'm going to kidnap someone in your family mark ii mm-hmm. <sighs> so many baffling plot decisions this week oh uh, god i don't know i'm 
I'm depressed about how this is this is turning out. Yeah, I, I the scene with the grenade uh, worked it was very effective. Though I can't be the only one who was thinking at a certain point that's not a small cabin, right? Get the girls in one corner. Yeah, yeah. Shield I them risk with your it. body, you know. Like, but at a certain point, you're gonna have to. It's not like you know, it was the tiniest. It's not like they would immediately be killed by the... I don't know. So so that was a little... I was sitting there thinking, like, how I would strategize. Right, you know, yes. If you had a live grenade in your hand, how you yeah, would strategize. How, how you would, you know... Soberly and methodically and not be freaking out at all. Well, you'd be freaking out, but at a certain point, your hand muscle, your muscles, hand muscles can only, you know, do so much. At a certain point, they give out. And uh, I've experienced with that and drilling things over and over again on the violin. But, um... Yeah, so I just, you know, I guess I wasn't as, I wasn't very concerned for the daughters, at least. Yeah, neither was I. Yeah. I I do think it's, I mean, oh, the the whole magically knowing exactly where Gus is with, uh, with Sonia and when to time the car. And I really, I'm tired of that. Speaking of TV cliches, tired of that trope. But having Gus be the one in peril is more interesting because we have much more of established relationship with Gus. And uh, as for everything else, that's kind of where I was last week. I can't get over finding out that the guy, that supposedly the guy who plays Gus is 27. <laughs> yep. It's just, why? Why would you cast a 27? I mean, I, the actor's fine. Mm-hmm. He's actually quite good. But still, 27? That's why I don't understand if he's in high school or college. Yeah, no, and they haven't really made that clear. But, uh, yeah, I'm struggling to think of stuff that was good this week. Uh, I feel like there was something, but it's not... Oh, right. Was MILF? Yeah, that was pretty great. That was great. Diane Kruger, A-plus comic timing in that scene. Well, and also just the the way they tied in Xena was really interesting. The texting that we've been sort of seeing over the course of the season, I thought that was very clever and a nice payoff. It made sense. And, uh, yeah, and so some of the, some of it I actually did think was fine. I just, like, like we talked about last week, I have, I'm disappointed to seemingly see the social aspect of the, or or examination of the episode, uh, of the series get dropped in favor of this rather straightforward revenge plot. Do we want to talk about Bobby Cobb at all and, and, uh, Charlotte, I, I don't even remember her last name. It starts with an M. Charlotte Gish, um, <laughs> killing the lady. Ah, uh, that was such. A, that was another disappointment. There was such a weird cognitive dissonance when you're watching a a, a long, you know, a, a serialized drama, and an uninteresting character kills an interesting character. Yeah, it's always just like it always just feels so wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll we'll see where this this goes. Um, I guess this makes her slightly more interesting. I just don't understand, based on how little we know about this character, I don't have a grasp on why she didn't just sell the house and leave with buckets and buckets of money and buy a nice house somewhere else. Yes, and put, yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. They didn't establish any relationship, any strong connection between her and the husband. And the, the, the little bit they did in the premiere they've backed away from since then and so i just we don't know who she is other than apparently she's willing to pitchfork someone i I will say i know you're not a huge fan of thomas Wright on this show but i think his scenes were actually some of the best in this episode and i i especially liked his interactions with the um 
farmer priest killer Ex- dude hitman <laughs> something yeah yeah I, I was i was i way more interested in that corner of the show than basically any of the rest of it and some of his line readings were just hilarious yeah and i think intentionally so for once that's another character that they you know we don't really have that strong we we know him way better than we know charlotte but I, he doesn't seem to have a purpose on this show other than we like this actor why don't we do something in, about this i don't feel like we got any sort of reason for those creepy dreams he was having last week with this explanation that the guy just showed up and took the body and that was that was the extent of their interaction why was he having these nightmares about this guy then if all he did was just take the body away um so so there's i don't know i guess i just don't see the point of those scenes at this point as much as i do like the actor or i did like him on on top of the lake he's i can't get past that voice man (laughs) it is really something yeah. But uh, un- uh, but unlike other aspects of the bridge, I admit that it's at least committed. Yeah, it's it's something. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> we should get on to Breaking Bad, though. So, any other final thoughts on the bridge? Uh, get your. I don't know if there's any way they can get it together properly after that. But uh, yeah, disappointing. And I just hope that it. You, you've said that they've talked about wrapping up the case before the season's over. Yeah. I hope that's really soon. Yes. Like next two weeks. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But let's let's move on to our final show in our weekend drama, and that's Breaking Bad, Tahajali, something like that. And uh, we got to add to our number of meth cooks, so we're up to one for the the death pool, and we are up to we have another shootout here, so we're up to two for shootouts. Okay, so we're we're finally end. Now, do we have anyone for casualties? I said in my, I, I would, I would like to know if you, if you're going to back me up on this. I stated with full confidence in my review, and I'm it, at the risk of just being shown to be a total idiot in about five days' time. Hank, may, I don't know about Gomi, but certainly Hank is not dying in that shootout. Here's the thing: there are so <laughs> many bullet fly, bullets flying that if only one person gets shot or dies i'm gonna have a really hard time believing it because there's like six guys there with serious firepower all trying to shoot two guys and yes the obvious thing is gomi's the uh the dead man walking and hank is gonna get but there is no way that makes any sense that even just with what we already saw them shoot the number of rounds we saw them shoot that they shouldn't both be dead that being said i think if they were going to kill him we would have seen it this week yeah it just i mean it's so hard to try to second guess vince gilligan and company and think which tv tropes are they going to go with and which ones are they going to subvert yeah because they have a really fun time with that so when we see hank making that phone call to marie telegraph the hell out of him dying and then we didn't see him die exactly uh so but are they playing a longer game by subverting characters don't die in the opening minutes of TV shows, uh, at least not generally. Um, you know, are they, you know, what if the cold open is literally just tanks brains all over the place? I wouldn't put it past Vince Gilligan to do something like that, but I just don't think, you know, you, you try to figure out in advance how ballsy the show is going to be. And I don't think it's quite that ballsy. 
or I think the last shot would have been of Hank. And so, yeah, you know, instead so, it's Walt and, and it's Walt. So if the last shot had been Hank and the next week he's dead, it's like that's his last moment or, since, you know, that I could accept that more. But it, it would be very odd. I don't know how they're possibly going to get out of there because they're going to keep shooting until they run out of bullets. And then so, so it's not like Walt's going to be able to tell them to stop while he's, you know, trying to not get hit himself. Um, and yet, by all reasonable expectation, Hank and Gomi and Jesse should all be dead. Based on what yeah. we saw. Yeah. So how they how they open with not doing that, I think, will be will interesting. Be very, very. Well, I, they're going to cold open somewhere else is what's going to happen. <laughs> Which is going to be like, ah! Yeah. But yeah, definitely one of the most frustrating cliffhangers they've ever done. And I love it. I noted this in my review. I love how Breaking Bad is seen as, you know, this super sophisticated modern TV drama mm-hmm. that, you know, is the at the apex of its medium and the cinematography, direction, acting are, you know, highlights of the new golden age of TV. And yet, like lately, the way they do cliffhangers is straight out of old timey serials, old timey serials from the dawn of film. Mm-hmm. Like, no, there's no difference whatsoever. I'm not complaining, but that I just keep thinking of of the old school Doctor Who cliffhangers. That's that's what, exactly what I go back to with these. And uh, obviously, it's a different, you know, it, it has a different set of trappings around it but yeah and and it worked then it works now it's an it's it's a very entertaining way to structure your season anything else about this we want to talk about other than the the final moments were you okay with walt blatantly confessing to a bunch of stuff he didn't have to confess to on the phone and getting nailed with it i was blatantly okay with some of i was okay with him blatantly confessing to some of that he seemed to tumble out a few too many convenient things. Yeah, and obviously Cranston's amazing and he sells it to the best of his ability. And just the energy of everything that's going on sort of gets you to not Get pay no it, attention yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, they do their very, very best to wallpaper how contrived it is. Like, yes. And Michelle McLaren directs her, very, her last episode of Breaking Bad and she directs the hell out of this episode. I mean, just... It, the highlight, the easy highlight of the episode for me was the epic perp walk. Mm. Uh, just, or rather, the epic coloring. I mean, every detail of that, you just get to savor it. And Hank gets to savor it right before whatever goes down goes down. Yeah. And it was so beautiful to watch. Well, and I also like that it's such a simple, such a simple mistake that yeah. Walt makes. You know, it's such an easy thing thing for you know such an easy way for them to outsmart him and 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 it shows such a knowledge of of who he is but we got to talk a little bit about his decision to turn himself in basically by telling you know the 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 cavalry not to come and kill hank because he's not willing to kill hank um I didn't I would not have predicted that I was actually expecting that he was going to collar him and then Walt, because it telegraphed Hank's death so completely, I was expecting that Walt was somehow gonna, like, kill him in the car as he's transporting him back or something. I I was actually thinking that when he was on the phone with them and he finds out that the DEA is coming, which is why he calls them off, when he finds that out, I was thinking he was gonna say, bring more guns. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was just yeah. gonna say, screw it! We'll get them all! Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if he's willing to kill Jesse, 
Mm-hmm. Why not Hank? Yeah. You know, why draw the line? Like, you know, Anna Gunstyle, why draw the line there? And it's, I agree. I Is it in character? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's requiring me to rethink the character. And I think that's interesting. As long as it feels honest. I've, I'm not really understanding it, but that doesn't mean that. I mean, is the difference that Hank's family? It's such a tiny distinction, though. Yeah, especially given that Hank's clearly not interested in being in Walt's family. Exactly. Well, and also just the whole the whole money thing just feels like again ego. That's for my family. That's really you. You have a successful car wash if you weren't laundering money. Why? Why? You, there's a business to support your family that you, that your wife is basically running by herself anyways. So your family is going to be fine. This, this is money. You know, you don't need seven barrels of money <laughs> that was hilarious yeah. with you by the way uh, you don't need seven barrels of money for your family y- you want that money because it's how you identify your success and and the the pride the willing and the benefit of all this terrible you know all these terrible yeah. things that he's done but I, that felt like ego and then at the end with with hank that that is so against that that i don't really know what to think yeah. By the way, how great is it that the guy playing Huel was pivotal on two different shows this week? Yep. Um, also on Always Sunny. But yeah, and I, I don't know if, like, obviously the next weeks are going to have to play this out to the degree that they can, I suppose. But yeah, is it in character or is it something or not? I mean, is it just a uh, contrivance? Yeah. So it's, it's very difficult to tell right now, but it's certainly something to think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I, I mean, I'm, clearly my predictions last week were completely off, so I'm mm-hmm. going to do it again because it's fun. It is. I would say the only way, the only way I can think of to uh, for that shootout to stop is for Walt to put himself in the middle of it because they don't want to kill Walt. Nobody wants Walt dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they, Jesse wants Walt dead, but he doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants Walt dead, so the only way it's going to stop is if he gets in the crossfire. Yeah. And manages not to die and gets everyone to stop shooting, please. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. And then he cuts a deal so he'll do the cook. Mm-hmm. And somehow Hank and Gomi get away. Yeah. I can't think of how that would happen. But it's the only thing I can think of uh, unless another plane crashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even going mean, to. That makes sense. But that, And Jesse, we see him slowly getting out of the car. So he could do something. He looks like he's prepping to do something. And running out into the middle of the desert is not a solution that's going to... Grenade gonna launcher? Keep you alive. Does he have a grenade launcher? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. And um, yeah, the the little moment with Saul also and Walt Jr. I wanted to mention as hilarious. That was pretty great. But, uh, but yeah, the, the there's so many different question marks for me right now and i i did not expect them to wait this long to get to the flash forwards mm-hmm. so that that tells me that the the flash forwards must have a pretty s- simple or straightforward answer it's not going to take a lot of time but uh yeah I'm, I'm very much intrigued to see what happens next week i have no idea and it's wonderful yep i agree so what wins your week in television your week in drama that is uh breaking bad 
Breaking Bad. <laughs> well, some some show notes before we go to our DVD shelf with Eric Goldman of IGN to talk about the Ben Stiller show. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We can You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode. You can leave us comments there. Let us know what you think about Breaking Bad and the rest of the shows we talked about this week. We are up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. Please uh, stop by and give us a rating or review in iTunes. It does help other people find the show. We would very much appreciate it. You can also email us at Televerse at gmail.com and we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Hell. And Simon, what should our question of the week be? I would like to know how regular people are going to prepare for the TV apocalypse. Uh, on the 29th. Yeah, let, let us know how your viewing schedule plan, how you're going to manage when everything comes back at once. For, for those who who don't know, here are the shows that are going to be airing on September 29th. We have the Breaking Bad finale. We have the Boardwalk. We have Boardwalk Empire. We have the Homeland premiere. We have the Masters of Sex pilot. We have the Amazing Race premiere. The Good Wife premiere. The Once Upon a Time premiere as well. So, just a few shows starting, <laughs> and just a few prestige dramas uh, starting and finishing as well. Did you already mention the Good Wife? That's in there too. Yeah, the Good Wife's in there too. So, yeah. Uh, at- and that's just the premieres, right? That's just no, no, that's, the, those, those, that's, that's everything. That's everything. It's that's all still, premieres or the Breaking Bad finale or an episode of Boardwalk Empire. I feel like Boardwalk Empire is going to be the loser in that week. Yeah, uh, we we may not get to that one that week, but we'll we'll do, we'll do our our little best. Well, I will because I'll I'll be reviewing it, so I'll be watching it while y'all are watching Breaking. Who am I kidding? I'm going to watch Breaking Bad and then I'll watch Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be. The TV apocalypse. Let us, let us know your plans for surviving it. Now let's take a break. Let's do a clip and some music and come back with Eric Goldman from IGN to talk about the Ben Stiller show. It's Ben Stiller's documentary. You too, the early years. It was very difficult for us when we were starting out. We had this horrible old manager who didn't understand what we were trying to do with our music. I loved those boys like they were my own sons. They came to me, you know. Oh, yeah. Mr. Kincaid used to drive us about in this ramshackled old multicolored school bus, taking us from gig to gig, screaming about how we were going to make it big in show business. I was full of ideas back then. We wanted to get a little girl to play tambourine with us, but we nixed that one. With Bono, it was always about the message. So I gave him a message. If Joel Wasserstein doesn't have fun at his bar mitzvah, you're not getting paid. Comprende? Baruch atad Hashem, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu, Torah met. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I hope you're all having a good time here at Joel's Bar Mitzvah. We're all real proud of him. Look at him. The very vision of manhood. And how about Leo Krupnik, who made that great gefilte fish sculpture, huh? Everybody taste the gefilte fish sculpture, it's great.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD show, we're talking the short-lived but oh-so-loved Ben Stiller show. And here to help us from IGN TV, it's the executive editor. Thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Eric Goldman. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Welcome to the show. And when we were talking about what shows you wanted to to discuss, there were a couple that came up, but you you kind of honed honed in pretty quickly on the Ben Stiller show. What made you want to talk about this series? You know, I mean, a lot of times, obviously, TV shows, it, it depends on when you saw them and the importance they have. And I don't know, Ben Stiller show, I'll, I'll date myself here. Ben Stiller show came on when I was a senior in high school. And I don't know, there was something about it. And I think I'll probably repeat some of these uh, things a little bit in, in, while we talk. But something about that show, I was already like, you know, I really like sketch comedy and I loved SNL growing up. But there was something about Ben Stiller show. It was made by very young people at the time that really appealed to me as a young person at the time. It it was very pop culture oriented. You rewatch it now and you realize almost everything that they do is a pop culture parody. There's not really politics going on or sort of social issues. It was about people making fun of TV and movies because they watched a lot of TV and movies. And I guess as a guy who watched a lot of TV and movies, that appealed to me. <laughs> yeah, it's one that I do hear referenced by by comedy aficionados as it were along with SCTV is one of and of course Mr. Show is some of the more influential sketch comedy shows um, and and it it's one that I, I felt like I should watch a few years back so I tried to to, to watch it and I, it, I did not connect it was not a positive experience and so this time I went back and and was approaching it and I was very happy to actually really enjoy most of what I saw I think it's you know when you're watching the early episodes of course this was a one season wonder that got canceled and then promptly won the Emmy for best writing which was awesome yeah yes Uh, but but you can see sort of them figuring themselves out over the first couple episodes and I think by the middle of the season I was you know I there's always we talk about on the televerse a hit to miss ratio with every sketch show you watch and for me it was a lot of hits and maybe that's just because i also you know i was enjoying the night i never watched 90210 but i was really enjoying those parodies (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome to hear and you know of course of course there are things about it that are dated when you're going to be parodying pop culture of the moment you're going to look back you know when i was rewatching it there are some commercial parodies, and I can vaguely remember the commercial they're parodying, but not specifically. So I was like, I kind of know what they're parodying here. But you kind of still get it like, oh, we're parodying pretentious commercials with models jumping around. <laughs> but but Lost to Time might be the specific commercial from 21 years ago that was being targeted. Yeah, there are certain, there are certain ones of those, especially the commercials, that – immediately you know i was i was what seven or eight uh when this when this was on um in the, in the 90s and yeah. uh so so i sort of have very vague ref- remembrances of some of these things but like the dandruff commercial i actively very vividly remember what that one was parodying okay. and so like so maybe the wilson was more of like a vague you know continuing parody of of commercials but that that dandruff thing just i just started laughing immediately and i i would not have appreciated this i clearly i didn't a few years ago but maybe just because i've been watching more sketch comedy in the past few years certain things that really did did uh, work for me in a way that they hadn't before now simon i know you're you're our our show our beloved curmudgeon and you're not big on sketch how how has ben Stiller for you uh I'm not so curmudgeonly, am I? Yes, uh, the... yes, you are. <laughs> That's why we love you. Oh, uh, of the sketch comedy shows we've done so far, I think probably Ben Stiller was the one I had the hardest time connecting with. Um, 
I mean, it, when you say that some of it's dated, I don't think that's true. I think actually almost all of it is dated. Um, mostly because, like you said, um, Eric, this is, is it, you know, it's not a, it's not a socially minded show. It's not, uh, it's also not like um, Mr. Show, which I often wished I was watching throughout. It's not that level of absurdity or edginess for that matter. Uh, it's, it is very much, you know, you know, LA and showbiz oriented and, uh, and, and very specific to that time period. So, you know, you get the running Melrose Heights jokes, you get the commercial parodies, et cetera. And I feel like the show loses something. If, if, for instance, you're watching, uh, the, the Cape Munster sketch and you don't get that Janine Garofalo is doing a Juliet Lewis parody, uh, which is amusing and actually one of my favorite bits. And in general, uh, Jeanine Garofalo is just a joy to watch throughout. Uh, but I feel like, you know, if you don't get the reference, you don't get the joke. It's not funny, period. And that's sort of one of my less uh, sort of beloved forms of humor. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it, it's funny because it is most of the things they parody were certainly of the moment. And I guess it really uh, depends on what is still going to be something that people will in some ways know about. So it's like. A Few Good Men parody, it's like, okay, I think most people will remember A Few Good Men versus a Gap ad that was in a jazz club 21 years ago. Yeah. And yeah, and there's so there's 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 things that I think, yeah, like uh, have different sort of levels. Uh, but I do think that some things just work because they work, like uh, Metallica doing the song for a Body Switch movie. Uh, I think that's still a funny idea, even though, you know, at the time, obviously, the parody is pretty specific to the Enter Sandman video. And that there were a lot of body switch father son movies at the time, but I still think that conceptually, that would still that's still a funny idea to me. And actually, that's one of the episodes. There were a handful of episodes I didn't see when they originally aired, and didn't see until about ten years later when it came on DVD, and that was one of them. And uh, so since two thousand three, me still found it funny. I'm, I'm I still enjoy that stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really difficult for me to think of which sketches worked for me outside of my my remembrances of the early right. 90s because uh, i'm sure that a big part of why i enjoyed skank so much was because i spent way too many hours watching unhappily ever after yeah. on, on fox i don't know why i look back like i don't but i, I yeah, as a kid i enjoyed it and so there's certain of these these uh these sketches that just for some reason I'm laughing and if I if I just sit back and try to analyze it it's not necessarily it's like I see what they're doing yes yes very clever but be, because I have that that memory of that that time or just because I you know have very ingrained watching too much television as a child memories uh some of them really did, did work for me in that way another fun thing about this series is just they're, they're all so young yes. yes especially Bob Odenkirk holy crap for for those who don't know, it, of course, this is the Ben Stiller show, so Ben Stiller, yes. But also the the main cast are then Andy Dick, Janine Garofalo, and Bob Odenkirk. And there are certain other people that pop up here and there. I was enjoying looking for David Cross a few times towards the end. And they, he did get some – Ben Stiller got some sort of ridiculous – uh, guest stars to kind of pop up for for two seconds here and there, like Fred Willard, right, shows up for one sketch, and the, I, the, the Metallica one, yeah, yeah. He, I don't think he even talks. He's just sort of in a few <laughs> moments, you know. So there's some some guest spotting that can be pretty pretty fun there. What I what I think what another thing I really like about the show, but again, it's funny. It's it's a double edged sword, right? Because 
uh, you know, 21 years later, especially for people viewing it for the first time, it's like, does it really work? And I can see how it wouldn't always. But one thing I remember really appreciating at the time about it is how specific it was. It was made by people who they wanted their parodies to be dead on, you know. And so when they did a trailer parody, when they did a few good scouts, you have to understand that, like, high school me – was really impressed and blown away by the fact that they got actual trailer guy to narrate the trailer Mm -hmm. just because it's like stuff like that hadn't really been done. Um, And I think we're in an era now of like funny or die and things where we're very used to that, where it's like, let's get the real people to do these parodies and let's make it look just like it. But uh, Ben Stiller's show, I do think was, you know, if it was groundbreaking in any way, that was one way and that it was like really uh, the the details were, were very dead on. And all those little sort of beats and uh, whether it be the, you know, the sets are also just, you know, the, the narration and things, they would they would make sure it matched as close as they could to the thing they were parodying, which, again, can sometimes also hurt it in retrospect, you know, if you're viewing it with new eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's one of the aspects of the show that makes me think it's one of those classic examples to me. And this has happened with other shows, shows we've covered where it was probably ahead of its time at the time. But now watching it again, it feels a bit dated, like the whole you know, you have these interstitial segments where Ben Stiller is himself and he's, you know, awkwardly introducing the uh, the films, as he calls them, which, you know, is uh, obviously deliberately pretentious. And uh, and he'll have a guest on, whether it's, you know, James Duhan or Sarah Jessica Parker or Bobcat Goldthwait or whatever. And, you know, it'll sort of awkwardly segue into the, you know, there's sort of this, this meta, it's like kind of meta aspect. And I, again, like it was probably quite, considered quite clever and and bold at the time but now it seems kind of quaint to me i i will say i never felt like that stuff uh i think even high school me never felt that stuff really worked like i think that's where you see a show trying to find itself and if it came back for a second season i i could see it completely of changing as far as that sort of in between sketch format because there's even some episodes without guests and you know you can kind of feel like they're kind of figuring that out like what is the what's the framework of the show and that's one of the fun things to kind of track as you're going along through the series. The 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 last two episodes don't have guests, and uh, just sort of the the meta commentary of the interstitials is new show, awesome. Uh, people aren't really watching. No right. one's watching. We don't. We can't even get guests anymore. It's just like sort of tracking the progress in the interstitials was a lot of fun for me. Uh, but but. While I did enjoy some of the parodies quite a bit, there are also a few few that I guess the one was a parody, the other one isn't, that are just more kind of twists on parodies and and more original ideas that, that did really work for me. And I wanted to specifically mention, I think my single favorite sketch probably, uh, or series, you know, recurring sketch, was the cops in various time periods. Cause that, that just worked for me so completely. As a total history nerd too just the, the notion of that was hilarious to me and then also just the last sketch of was it oh oh donna what was the the, the donner party uh tj tj o pooter toots tj o pooter toots <laughs> i just maybe it's because i've watched it more recently because it was the last episode that aired on fox but the ending the notion of ending your sketch show with that i thought was hilarious and wonderful I, that's one of my favorite sketches as well, uh, and one that you would not believe how much uh, I'll name drop my friend Jonah Krakow and former IGN writer because we would quote the hell out of we, He was my, like, Ben Stiller show buddy and growing up, and, 
and we would quote uh, Red Hot Rancheroos and uh, Fruiter Balls <laughs> and something about that sketch. And it is funny, you know, uh, Simon, you mentioned uh, Mr. Show because obviously Odenkirk and David Cross both worked on Ben Stiller's show. David Cross was a writer, and then he popped up in a couple of sketches, including TGO Pittertoots. Um, and that's one that I believe Cross wrote. Uh, I don't know if Odenkirk wrote with him, but you can see uh, that Mr. Show would come from that, you know, because that is a very strange, surreal sketch. It's not specific to any movie or TV show, uh, although it obviously has references like pooter balls or people that are coming from something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do, you know, it, it's, this is enough. It's one of those shows, obviously, but it's a show that so many people went on to do other things and you can kind of see the seeds of those things in them, and T.J. Pudertoots is obviously, uh, I think, the most direct line to Mr. Show in, in all of the, the Ben Stiller Show episodes. Yeah, as you're watching the Ben Stiller Show, I was I was kind of thinking throughout, I wonder if, you know, Cross and Odenkirk kind of looked at what worked and what didn't work on Ben Stiller Show and then just kind of scrapped a whole lot of it. And Like, for instance, the way that sketch uh, sort of segues work on Mr. Show, I think, is brilliant and completely unlike Ben Stiller Show whatsoever. And I, I think it's something that, that they probably looked at those interstitial, interstitial bits and thought, mm, these are really hit and miss. You know, what if we did this instead? And I, I think that uh, they kind of used they, they kind of, you know, they kept a few elements of this and just kind of went wild with the rest. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Mr. Show as well. And it's one of those things where it's like as much as I'm sad, Ben Stiller's show didn't last longer. So many of the people went on to do pretty great things pretty quickly that it's almost like maybe this is the way it was meant to be, you know? T- TV confession time. I haven't actually seen any Mr. Show, so I'm now completely Boo. intrigued <laughs> to, to to watch them. Because I, I can't promise you'll actually like it, but it's definitely got some gold. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest here. See, for me, Mr. Show is more hit and miss than Ben Stiller's show, uh, sensibility-wise. But the things that work for me about Mr. Show, I absolutely love. You know, I think that there are just amazingly brilliant moments of Mr. Show. Now, which are the sketches that worked best for you guys? I mean, you we've mentioned a couple. Certainly, T.J. Pudertoots is, uh, is is high up on that list. Um, and uh, I really like, uh, you know, we mentioned the Metallica one. I also really love Manson, which is an interesting one because it, it's one of those things that does develop where they do ask, ask Manson a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with Bob Odenkirk playing Charles Manson, answering you know, your questions about little things in life. As only Charles Manson can, but when they do the actual Manson sitcom parody, I think that's great. And it's certainly one of the more, it's a, a sort of timeless one because they're parodying a show that was already decades old at the time. And uh, just the idea of Charles Manson has the, has the, I love when she says something about, oh, Manson's been underfoot all day. Of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Manson is the family dog, is creepy, weird, and very, very funny to me. Um, and I also, uh, I really, I, I love uh, Die Hard 12. And then one that I really loved at the time, and I still love just for its out-there-ness, is uh, Advantage Agassi, mm. which, again, it's very funny because Andre Agassi would so dramatically sort of change his look in a couple years that that would even kind of get rid of a big part of the parody. But just the, it was, again, it was at the time I hadn't seen someone hone in so well on so many sort of action movie tropes. And Ernie Hudson has the... Uh, chief you know with the uh agassi or way out of line and all that stuff and the way that everyone repeats all the narration that's that's still uh, a big highlight to me i actually think the funniest bit of the manson sitcom parody for me which i did very much enjoy was actually andy dick's vocal choices in oh that. man 
which is, you know, just the fact that they had him do that role instead of Ben Stiller with like the, you know, a more slicked back kind of, I don't know, just the having him do that and just the, 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 the drawl or whatever he's doing, it just killed me. Yeah, he's got he's got that line where he's like, "Where's the fire?" That yeah, I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I'm not doing justice. <laughs> Simon, I know this is more hidden mystery, but were there any standouts? Uh, generally speaking, for some reason, the music based sketches tend, or rather, musician based sketches tended to work. Uh, t- tended to be some of the best for me, like Tales of Springsteen. Uh, I really enjoyed, uh, mostly because I, I, you know, people that it is the sort of thing that Springsteen fans will make up about about him because you know there's so much myth making around that dude uh which i personally never understood sorry bruce springsteen fans um and, you know and then the youtube bits that sort of open the show uh as well as the grateful dead and then into the cure uh <laughs> insurance sketch i also enjoyed there, there's a good sense of specificity to them and also and this is uh, I may get a kick for this, but uh, it, it those are also the sketches where, in general, I'm better. I, I feel like they're better served by Ben Stiller's kind of mugging style of comedy, which in general doesn't do that much for me. See, that's that's interesting because I the the Bono sketches did nothing for me at all uh, because of that. I think, and and maybe that's just our difference. Uh, our different focuses coming into play because, of course, I was watching way too much television in the 90s and you're more of the, the not old dead German guys music person, right? So you're you're way more tuned into the, the music world than I am. So maybe that's part of it as well. I will say for me, um, the the final episode, the unaired episode, the Zoo TV parody is kind of eh to me, but I do love the... Uh, First episode, the U2 uh, rockumentary with U2 playing uh, bar mitzvahs and doing the Lucky Clovers commercial. I don't know, just uh, it, that that stuff. Again, I, I I would quote it often for many years afterwards, <laughs> and just the Lucky Clovers song and uh, you know his betrayal of Bono talking about how. Um, I'm just a man who uh, pulls my pants down and goes to the toilet like anyone else. But if you want to pay to watch me do it, sure, I'll do it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I really enjoyed all that stuff. Even though, yeah, it's funny because Ben Stiller is on the show. Uh, you know, you feel that there's a narcissistic side of him, and he's p- playing characters who take their shirts off all the time. But he is taking his shirt off all the time. And I do like when uh, I think it's Colin Quinn who kind of yeah. busts his chops about that. Yeah, that was fun. Now, were there particular, and I think it's sort of, I'm sure this is what they're going for, but it's sort of hilarious for them to bring in these guest stars, uh, these these bigger names, and then have them do nothing. Um, was was right. there a dynamic that you guys particularly appreciated? I, I like Bobcat Goldthwait just being utterly exasperated with, with the format and just not, not see, see, I mean, obviously he's playing a bit, but yeah. uh, just his, what is, what are you doing? What am I supposed to be doing? I kind of hope that every guest would be doing that. <laughs> That's actually, I think he's my favorite as well. I, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously he does some funny self-deprecating stuff about like how if I'm Fox's idea of a big star, you're in trouble or, you know, something like that. Um, and uh, Colin Quinn one is fun too. And uh, Dennis Miller one, uh, I think has, has some fun moments as far as, like you said, uh, there's definitely the, the, the one thing is that those interstitials do is sort of track the, the show being in trouble. Uh, and so the Dennis Miller one where he's kind of giving him his advice about being canceled uh, is, is pretty amusing. It's less successful when they do something like Sarah Jessica Parker and they're kind of trying to be a little more sticky in them with the whole mm-hmm. like Ben's trying to hit on her. 
it, you know, it's kind of like a half-baked idea that doesn't really work. But stuff like Bobcat and Colin Quinn, I think, is pretty fun. Well, and I just enjoyed the – because I just wrote up a review that will be going up later this month for finale month about the Larry Sanders show. So watching Gary Shandling come on because Larry Sanders needs viewers so much that he will even – try to get them out of the very few that are actually watching the Ben Stiller show uh, was very enjoyable. Uh, and by the way, you know, I feel like uh, we've been remiss in not mentioning, we mentioned a lot of the big names uh, that were involved in the show, but we haven't mentioned Judd Apatow who co-created the show. Uh, oh, with him, ben, you know. With, yeah, right. Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, and you made me think of it just because Apatow would go directly from Ben Stiller's show to working on Larry Sanders' show for several years. And then it's funny because Garofalo and Odenkirk would also be on Larry Sanders' show. Uh, so again, there is this funny thing if the Ben Stiller show was such a quick failure as far as, you know, ratings and actually got canceled, but then all these people, they, they rebounded pretty well. Yeah, it, it, like you were saying, Simon, and and I think we sort of all would agree at this, it is very much a time, it feels like a time capsule uh, for for the, the early 90s, 90, it, came, it came on the air in 92, it was canceled in 93. But uh, just it, like I said earlier, it is just sort of fun to see all of these people that that have done so many influential and hilarious things later in their careers at this particular stage. It's just sort of, you know, it's like what you were saying earlier, uh, Eric, it's sort of watching the kids, you know, leave you leave the kids alone for the weekend and this is what they put together. Right. It, right. And it, it, that's a it's a fun spirit to, you know, to the show. It is kind of amusing to me also watching the show now and Stiller seems so like fresh faced and young and and like up and and I guess like relatively humble with what he's doing. And now he's doing The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which just looks like the most overblown piece of crap I've ever seen. So I kind of feel like he's he's slowly turned into the things he was always making fun of, which, you know, adds a certain dark dimension to the show for me. Don't, don't 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 tell Simon Kate, but that trailer kind of intrigues me. <laughs> <laughs> I and I haven't seen it, so I'm in the middle. There you go. Uh, but it's certainly an interesting bit of of the prog- progress of of comedy, especially sketch comedy on television, and one that I'm glad to have checked out. Do we have any final thoughts? We've talked about our favorite sketches. Any ones that just were making you slam your head against the wall? The one I never got, and it's funny because they, and I was shocked when they did a second round of it. Uh, I never, I never got into the Pig Latin Lover. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I like the Pig Latin Lover. That I don't know. was impressive. Maybe pig Latin had not been a significant enough part of my life, but uh, yeah, that one. I guess I like the second one more with the variety show and Dolly Parton um, and Rip Taylor. I thought that was kind of that was kind of funny, but I don't know conceptually that one. Uh, uh, maybe it just wasn't in my pop culture wheelhouse enough, so that one wasn't one of my favorites. Well, but for me, the, what I enjoyed about that one was just he's really fast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just the the technical proficiency of Stiller in those bits. I want to know how many times they had to record that. I actually know? was wondering if it was sped up. Oh, that's true. Maybe it was, but just, it doesn't seem like it is though. Especially the, the variety show when he's not when it's not like the the small bits when it's a extended sketch like that and being the pedant I am I was watching it going pig Latin pig Latin not pig Latin pig Latin ah oh, you missed a few words there because that's that's how I roll but I I was just trying to imagine you know what that script looked like like if they wrote out the the pig Latin or they just said in pig Latin you know I I can't imagine trying to memorize all of that and so so yeah I I could see that bit not not working for you Eric but 
just on, the, like I said, the technical proficiency of it <laughs> right. really was impressive to me. Simon, which were the ones that that were the most outside of your, of your wheelhouse? He's like, he's going to say most. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 there weren't a whole lot of sketches where I was, where I was, you know, just like you said, slamming my head against the wall. I think there were a few that just went on a bit too long. Like I think they could have gotten the concept of Oliver Stoneland across quite a bit quicker without, you know, getting four or five minutes out of it, for instance. Uh, like you said, uh, way like 20 minutes ago, some of the commercial parodies uh, just were total over my head moments, especially the Wilson ones. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. Most of them just like I just didn't connect. Like it wasn't necessarily like, you know, for the, the skank, for instance, like I get why it's supposed to be funny. But uh, I think, though, that skank probably resonates more with you, Kate, because you're in the middle of watching all the comedy pilots right now. And I'm sure skank <laughs> isn't that different from a lot of those. <laughs> oh man! Now there's a particular '90s '90sness though to that of the not not just terrible sitcominess, but abusive relationship to the wife that is somehow good. It's somehow funny when we're verbally abusive to our spouse, either gender back and forth i know that's a big frustration for some people with uh for example everybody loves raymond they feel like the 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 wife character there is 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 just too nagging without positive sides and and in the in the 90s i remember watching many shows where it's just like why would these people ever be married they they hate each other and and or or he is just an asshole and she's somehow swooning and um yeah so so that even more than just the standard terrible comedy uh pilots and everyone i'm sorry if you're gonna be checking out the network pilots this year there's (laughs) there's yeah it's gonna be an experience But, yes, indeed. But yeah, there's an extra level of that one for me. And even just the all, all the gender politics of it, just, you know. And the adorable Moppet children, down to the, like their haircuts. You know, like the haircut for Timmy in that, that Manson parody is so perfect. Just like you were saying earlier, Eric, the specificity of it, I think, is what, what really got, got to me. Uh, by the way, I have to say that I can totally see what you mean about Oliver Stoneland probably goes on too long. Uh, and by the way, Ben Stiller's makeup creeps me out in that. <laughs> Trying to make yes. it look like Oliver Stone. But I was I love so much uh Mr. Morrison's Wild Ride that it is still a favorite sketch of mine. Uh just the uh what does he say? Like, I am an Indian, but I also represent death. And uh the uh, the uh Ginny Garofalo has animatronic Meg Ryan going, No, Jim, no. Uh, there's just uh I I just love that part of it so much that I love the sketch overall. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting show with a lot of different. It's playing with a lot of different ideas, and yes, it's it's of its time. But you know, it's, I still think it's worth checking out. And I'm glad. Thank you again, Eric, for coming on and talking about the show because I would not have have revisited it, and I would have still had those sort of negative memories of it from a few years back. So I'm glad to finally be in on it, in on the the joke, as it were. If nothing else, watch your favorite stars before they were. Savaged by the ravages of time. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just say, yeah, I mean, mean, we kind of already talked about it, but the fact that, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, for those of those very few of us who actually watched it uh, when it first aired, you know, it will always sort of have a different feel. And I completely understand approaching it now that there's got to be a way bigger hit or miss ratio just for the references being so dated. But, yeah, I do think uh, its place in sketch comedy history is, you know, is something that sort of is still important as far as, yeah, what a different kind of comedy and sort of what, what its target was being a, and how they approached it being different than things we'd seen up till that time. Absolutely. Well, 
I, you guys think you guys summed it up, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Eric, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me online. Uh, I, I write at IGN.com slash TV. Uh, and on Twitter, you can follow me at Eric IGN, E-R-I-C-I-G-N. Well, and of course, channel surfing. Channel surfing, our podcast that we try to do weekly and then ends up being monthly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you can subscribe on iTunes to Channel Surfing, the IGN TV podcast. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.